0: Today's guest on the podcast is Susan Lakey. I finally got to meet her at the Outspoken Summit in Arizona last weekend, which um, by the time this podcast airs, maybe a couple weeks. But she is the author of the book, Life's Too Short to Go This Effing Slow, and the new book, Running Outside the Comfort Zone. She's an endurance athlete, um, a writer, and a very fantastic person. She's also hearing impaired, which made this interview very interesting from a recording standpoint, because usually I do them um, remotely, but luckily we were able to do this in person. So hopefully you guys will be able to get the podcast, and, and hear it, I think we did a great job with the resources we had, which was an iPhone. So hope you all enjoyed this amazing episode with Susan Lakey. Hi, and welcome to the Same 24 Hours podcast. I'm Meredith Atwood, author of the book, The Year of No Nonsense. I'm a former attorney turned writer, speaker, and Ironman triathlete. Although right now, all I really like to do is lift weights. We all have the same 24 hours, but it's what we do in those hours that leads to our greatest health, happiness, and success. It's my goal to crack the code on a life of less nonsense so we can all make the most of our 24 hours. So let's get started. I'm coming to you from the Outspoken Summit, where I'm actually here with Susan Lakey author of the new book, Running Outside the Comfort Zone, but you may know her for her prior book, Life's Too Short to Go So Fucking Slow. <laughs> She's telling me. Hi, Susan. Welcome. So what inspired you to write your new book?
1: Um, so uh, I've been a runner and triathlete for about 10 years, and during that time, I've never really been fully felt like I fit in, like I'm really an athlete. I, I've always qualified my performances with, well, I'm slow, so it doesn't count, Right. or it's only a sprint triathlon, right. not an Ironman or anything. And even when I did do an Ironman, I still didn't feel like I belonged. Right. And so this feeling has gnawed at me for quite some time. And I finally decided, you know what? I'm going to be a real runner. I'm going to do this. I'm going to make it happen. And so I set out to qualify for the Boston Marathon because I thought that's what real runners do. Yeah. So I thought I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to get faster. I'm going to make this happen. And I was losing weight and I was getting faster. My coach was, uh, really, uh, uh, pushing me to get better and it was working. But I was also hungry all the time. I was yeah. tired. Yeah. I was angry. I <laughs> angry, angry because you were hungry. Yeah. <laughs> I knew and that feeling. I have stopped loving running. Yeah. I, I started to hate it. I started to resent it. So,
0: how much time before you started to hate it? Like you decided to do this, and then how much time before it really wore you down?
1: It. Well, pretty instant. Instant. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, the, the thing that I've learned about myself is that I run because I love running. Oh, as soon as I set any sort of, uh, outcome to it. Yeah. I lose sight of the process. Yeah. And that's what I learned while I was writing this book, Running Outside the Comfort Zone, because, um, I, I hit a tipping point where I really hated running and I didn't want to do it anymore. Yeah. And I, I was beating myself up for it. I was feeling like a failure. And finally, I said, you know what? If I'm not a real runner and I'm never going to be a real runner, I'm going the complete opposite direction. I'm going to spend a year doing all of these races that I never had time to do um, or desire to do because it's not what real runners would do.
0: Oh, yeah. Like what?
1: So I gave myself permission to sign up for these insane uh crazy silly races. So for example, the the Red Bull four hundred is a race where you sprint up a ski jump at altitude for four hundred meters. Um, it literally will take your breath away. It's not something that conventional runners do. Right. It's really for the more extreme athletes, right? But I signed up for that. Um, I also signed up to run across the Grand Canyon with my friend Heidi. I did a naked 5K. A naked I,
0: 5K? Like, buck I naked? I
1: I took my clothes off and I ran a 5K. Um, I smuggled running shoes into Cuba with an organization that helps runners that are, that are in impoverished areas. I did all of these adventures and activities that real runners don't do because they don't have a tangible outcome like a button qualifying time. Right. Um, because really, it's really
0: about the experience in it, these races.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And so I spent this whole year doing these adventures, traveling the world, and in this time, I met hundreds, if not thousands, of runners. And at the end of this year, I was looking back on that experience, and I realized I had never met a fake runner in all of these oh,
0: yeah
1: on real basis. So what if there is no such thing? I've been searching to become this real runner, this right. qualifier of some sort. Um and it doesn't exist. And I also realized that during this year um uh wild, wacky, crazy adventure, I fell in love with running again. Yeah. And now I can say, yes, I am a real runner and i move on runner who runs because I love running. Not yeah. because I need to hit some obligatory number. Not because I need to wear a medal on my neck, but just because I want to see what's on the top of that mountain over there. So I'm going to run on top up of the ski boat. slope. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> All right. So I know everyone asks you about the naked 5K, but for real, for real, what was that like? I mean, are you like a naked person? Are you like free in your nakedness? Cause I'm not like, I grew up in a very like, closed household now my house now like my kids are always naked so I think that they would be fine with a naked 5k but I I don't know like how was that how, okay so first question are you a naked person
1: <laughs> <laughs> I I am not typically a very free yeah uh, like that no I, I am a writer so I work from home which means that I usually don't wear pants while I'm working <laughs> but that's from my couch with the blind clothes. So no, right. I'm not the type of person that would um be an exhibitionist yeah. in any way. But someone told me about this race and it fit in with my theme of the yeah. year, which is I'm going to let myself do all of these, uh, uh, crazy experiences as yeah. a runner. And. How are your boobs, though? Like, that <laughs> is. <laughs> Everyone asked me that question. Um, I will never take a sports bra for granted ever again. That <laughs> for sure. It was, it was a different experience. Um, but. You'll have to read about it in okay. the book, Running Outside the Comfort Zone. But I will say that it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be a lot of creepy pervert. Um <laughs> But it wasn't. It wasn't. And that surprised me. And I had a,
0: a lot of fun. That's awesome. That's awesome. So where did you learn the concept that you are not a runner. So where I know where my concept came from. I was playing basketball as a middle schooler mm-hmm. and someone said to me, you're never going to be a runner if you run like you just did in that game. And mm-hmm. I thought, but I was running and I was very young. But from that moment on, it never occurred to me I wasn't a runner until that moment. And that has stuck with me. And I, I just love this idea of your book because it like hits me in the heart because I still have that you know, thought when I'm out running, like I'm doing the motion of running and I'm like, I'm not a runner. So, where did you learn that you weren't a runner? Like, how early
1: was it? I think a lot of people in the sport feel like in order to be a real runner, you have to be super fast. You have to be super skinny. Yeah. You have to not have any complications. And the thing that always throws me is they always have perfect hair, right? They have the perfect ponytail. that never gets messed <laughs> perfect up. Perfect hair. Um, we, we come up with these ideas. And I think that makes us... Um, Feel a little less pressure yeah. about what we're doing, um, where, where we don't feel like we have to um, to qualify our performance in any way. but we can say, "Well, those are the real runners. I'm just over here doing the motion." Yeah. Um. And and it kind of takes a little bit of the spotlight off of us. Mm. Um. I don't know that I ever explicitly was told you are not a real runner. But I know that I've never met the idea of what a lot of people have.
0: Right, as a runner.
1: Yeah, yeah. so um, I didn't grow up as an athletic person. I um, started uh, running 10 years ago as an overweight, chain-smoking alcoholic. Um, I kind of fell into running by accident. My boss convinced me it would be a good idea. And, um, because he was my boss, I couldn't say no. Right. And so I, I, started exercising. Um, but then my boss, who was a 13-time Ironman, had this really interesting way of inspiring me. And this is Carlos. This is Carlos, my yeah. boss. And, um, he, um, he inspired me to sign up for an Ironman triathlon, even though I had, no idea what I was getting myself into. Right. I didn't own a bike. I hadn't done a half marathon, anything. But I thought, well, if he can do it, I can do it. And the next thing I knew, I was becoming a triathlete, right? But I still never felt like a triathlete. Um, I would look around me, and everybody would be super fit, super skinny. They walked and talked like they knew what they were doing. Right. Um, I didn't. I was just kind of faking up. And then even after I finished my first Iron Man, I remember having this recurring dream that someone would ring my doorbell and uh, it would be a representative from Iron Man who would say that we made a mistake. <laughs> You're a fraud. <laughs> yeah. Give us your medal back. Right. And, um, so I had this idea built up in my head that I didn't quite belong. And then I started writing about running in triathlon as a career and Again, that's something I fell into by accident. Um, but I remember the first few times that I would meet people, they would get kind of thrown because I don't look like your typical, uh, right. runner or triathlete. I'm a little bit overweight. I'm, I, I don't really have a lot of muscle tone. I'm not like a super fat, hardcore athlete. Um, but also I'm deaf. And a lot of people would ask questions about, well, how do you do this if you're deaf? And it never occurred to me that some people would think that I can't be a runner or a triathlete because just because my ears hear. don't work. Right. Yeah, it's so stupid. Um, but that made me feel self-conscious, like I really don't belong here. Right. Um, and, and so this idea just kept reinforcing this nagging feeling that I had that I was a fraud, that I didn't belong right. in the community, even though I was doing the same thing that everybody else was, which was swimming, cycling, running. Yeah. So what
0: made you finally say I belong exactly as I am here I am I belong wherever I am I mean I think that's the theme right we belong wherever we are
1: absolutely there was a moment when um I was doing the comrade Ultramarathon in South Africa and I was running along and is that the desert mm-hmm. the desert
0: marathon? yeah
1: and and it was the huge crowd of people who was watching. And within the crowd there was a um a, a drum band. And so they were all um they were drumming this really intense beat that I could feel in my chest. And I realized that without, you know, even intending to that I had fallen into step with this beat. And then I looked around me, and everybody was dancing to the same beat. The other runners had fallen into step with the same beat, and I got chilled. I mean, yeah. it was just one of those moments where you're like, wait a second. Like, the universe is trying to tell me something here. Yeah. I'm in the middle of this race, 56 miles long. Um, I didn't think I could ever have done that. Right. In my life, but I was challenging myself as a runner, and I was stepping up to the challenge, and I was surrounded by people who were also stepping up to that challenge, and for one moment, we were all completely in sync, wow. and that will never leave me, that, that realization that I have a place. That yeah. I do belong. Um, I think that's what's so cool about running is it teaches us a lot about ourselves, um, when we least expect it. We yeah. don't tend to learn like lessons in, you know, marathons and triathlons and get through. Um, but then you just have this moment that just stops you and you realize that you're stronger than you ever thought you could be, that you're better than you ever thought that you could be, that, um, you need to give yourself more credit. Yes. And I love those moments. And I just wish I could bottle them up and and sell that because I think we could all use a little bit more of those moments.
0: Yeah. Every time I'm on a race course, I have that moment. It's usually the longer ones because (laughs) I think I hit a breaking point where I'm like, this is so hard. (laughs) I feel like I'm dying. But I always have some moment where I'm just tired and grateful. Yeah, and and that's that. That's what I. When you tell the drumbeat story, I can almost feel those drums. Like just hearing you tell it, because it, it's a it's a feeling you have when you're out there not being a runner, <laughs> running.
1: And I think fatigue is essential for us to learn I think we have to stop shying away from the spotlight I think we have to stop building up our defenses and we have to stop justifying our existence um but that's hard to do constantly we we feel like we have to put on the show we have to play the part we have to um act a certain way dress a certain way um there is something about enjoying sports that's just you down so much, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, you're almost forced to learn the lesson, and that's so powerful, right? Right.
0: So you are a sober person. You've been how long have you been sober? I've been sober for seven years. Seven years. So mm-hmm. I'm also I'm a Miss Four years. So Congratulations. and, that's and awesome. you too, and you too. Um, how? Let's talk about that a little bit. I mean, how I run a sobriety community online and. You can watch people who struggle with the idea of getting sober, and they have a hard time coming to the decision of this no longer serves me, and I shouldn't probably be doing that for myself. So how did you come to the realization that I just don't drink anymore?
1: I didn't really come to the realization um, instantly. It was something that um, I knew... For a long time that that my drinking was a problem yeah and i didn't want to admit that i really didn't again it was one of those things where i wanted to play the part and so in a way the more i did as an endurance athlete the more i drank because yes. The more I didn't feel like I belonged, the more I felt like a fraud, the more I felt like I wasn't playing the part, like, right. but also the more I felt like I needed to prove I wasn't an alcoholic.
0: Right. No, that's me too. Because I would get blasted, get up, ride a hundred miles and be like, look, I'm healthy. I don't have a drinking problem. I couldn't
1: possibly. If, if I had a drinking problem, could I do an
0: Ironman? Right. Of course not. I smart. did all my Ironmans drinking.
1: Absolutely I haven't yeah. done
0: one since sober. <laughs>
1: I don't think people realize how pervasive yeah. that is. Ever since I've written about that in both of my books, uh, written about getting sober, I have people contact me all the time, and they're also triathletes. they're also runners, and they say, I think I might have a problem. And they say, let's talk about that. I, yeah. I can't diagnose you. Um, but they say, but if, if I'm running marathon, I'm okay, right? And also, well... I used to drink a lot, and yeah. I was able to drink for Ironman. I was able to drink for Marathon, and, and I did it to prove that I wasn't an alcoholic. Yes. And I think that once people hear that, they realize, wait a second, that's something I'm doing too. Yes.
0: And you're the first person I've talked to that said that, and that is exactly what I've been saying, because everyone's like, oh my God, how did you do Ironman drinking? And I'm like, I I was doing it to overcompensate. Absolutely. Now you can't get me out of bed at 3.30 to go get and in I the think- pool. <laughs>
1: And I think it becomes a point of pride too, because yeah. as an endurance athlete, like, you can overcome muscle cramps. You can overcome, um, you know, fatigue. You can overcome all these things. You can also overcome hangover. You can beat your body into submission until it does what you want. Yes. And and endurance athletes are so good at that. They are yes. so good at ignoring the pain, ignoring the suffering. And it doesn't matter if you're nausea is coming because, you know, you're on mile 20 of a marathon or because you drank 20 beers last night. Right. You can ignore it equally the same way. Yeah. So I did that for a really long time. And um finally, I got to a point where one morning uh, I had woken up after a blackout. And I was lying on the floor in a pool of blood. And I realized that at some point during that blackout I had fallen and I hit my head. And that was the moment I realized I no longer had control over my body. I couldn't then. Right. And um so it was it was a very shocking moment. But it was also the best thing that ever happened to me. Right. Because at that moment I went to my friends, I said I need help and I where the first time I said, I'm an alcoholic, not I think I have a problem, now, but I'm an alcoholic, it hit me. Yeah. And it was the sense of relief that I could finally stop fighting. I could finally respect my body and listen right. to my body um, and work with instead of against my body. And that was, like I said, the worst, best thing that ever happened to me. Right. I think the biggest relief
0: I have from being sober is the fact that I don't have to negotiate with myself every day. So I would wake up and think I'm not doing this anymore. I'm done. And then by noon, I'm like, well, I could have a glass of wine tonight. And then by five o'clock, I'm like, screw it. I'm going to have a whole bottle. And so that freedom, like when you say you admitted it, when I admitted it, it was freedom because then you're not negotiating. You're not trying to keep up a front that you've got your shit together. (laughs) You're just like, "Eh, I got a problem with that. I'm not going to do it anymore. And yeah, it was very freeing. So
1: and it forced me to confront those insecurities that I have about not feeling like I'm enough. Right. Because that didn't go away just because I the right. drinking. Right, it got worse. It got worse. Yeah. And so now you have to learn how to deal with that and and to live life on lights terms instead of my terms. Yeah. And, and so it hasn't been easy, obviously. It's, it's not something that was instantaneous, but... Being forced to do the work to accept myself as I am and to stop trying to play the part, to stop trying to discount what I do. Now I can say, you know, I did this thing and I'm proud of it. Not I did this thing and, and maybe I might not belong necessarily, but I tried. No, I did it. I own, I own everything that I do now, good and bad. Yes. Um, and, and that's taken a long time and it's still a process. It's still, it's still a work in progress. That's awesome.
0: So your book, Running Outside the Comfort Zone, available where all books are sold.
1: Yeah, so they're available online in running triathlon shops and bookstores and at SusanLakey.com. SusanLakey.com.
0: So one last question. This podcast is called The Same 24 Hours, meaning we all have the same 24 hours in our day, but it's what we do in those 24 hours that leads to our greatest health, happiness, and success. So I like to ask my guest, what is something you do on a daily basis that you think contributes to your best life? Like a habit or a mindset?
1: That's a really good question. Um, I don't constantly follow any sort of um habit or to do that, but I do try to catch myself in the moment and think this is nice, this is yeah. good. Yeah. And I I think, you know, especially these days the world can kind of feel like a dumpster fire. And we can be surrounded by a lot of negativity. Yeah. So whenever I catch myself feeling happy, whenever I see somebody doing a good thing, whenever um, something positive is happening, I try to make it a point to stop and really soak that moment up because I feel like that's happening so few and far between yeah. now um so so really flexing that positivity muscle yeah. every day is something that's important to me and it's really made a big out, a big change to my outlook awesome
0: well thank you susan this was great thank you thank you for joining me on this episode of the same 24 hours remember to rate review and share this podcast it really matters i appreciate it see you next time